On April 7, 2022, Ketanji Brown Jackson was confirmed by the Senate to the Supreme Court, becoming the first African American to hold a seat in the highest court in America. As Democrats celebrated the historical milestone this meant for people of color and women, Republicans and a few conspiracy theorists were smearing Ketanji Brown Jackson as soft on crime, a sex offender apologist, and in QAnon circles, an agent of the deep state working with the pedophilic cabal to restructure the criminal system so that pedophiles can have easier access to your children and more specifically, their adrenochrome. I am your social chemist Nelson and on today's episode, we'll be assessing Ketanji Brown Jackson's sentencing in regarding sex offenders and some of the accusations that have been brought up by the Republican Party. So initially I was going to work on this episode about like what, two weeks ago, but in the process of work, of researching the necessary material to produce today's episode, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock and essentially altered the course of human history. However, the universe is once again balanced, and now we can focus on the real issues in American politics. But in all seriousness, it did give me more time to understand the connection between Ketanji Brown Jackson, KBJ, as I'll be referring to her from this point on throughout the episode, and her sentencing record in regards to sex offenders. Because at first, I wasn't sure what kind of sex offenders were being talked about, and in reading the articles from a number of news outlets, I was a little bit concerned with KBJ's ruling. However, not everything is as it seems. And so for today's episode, we're going to look at who KBJ is and her credentials, We'll look at her. We'll look at one of her cases, which is the one that Republicans were attempting to grill KBJ on, and sex offenders' misconceptions. Like I mentioned, on Thursday, April seventh, KBJ was confirmed to the Supreme Court after being nominated by President Biden, who selected her in his attempt to create representation for women and people of color. Now, her process in becoming a Supreme Court judge was filled with political nonsense and right-wing propaganda. For example, paleoconservative Tucker Carlson of Fox News did a segment where he had requested to see KBJ's LSAT scores, which is irrelevant because the Supreme Court isn't a college application. Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee during the Supreme Court hearing had asked KBJ to provide a definition of the word woman, which again, I don't know why that's relevant. And besides, for a political party that likes to suppress women's right to reproductive health services, they sure are very protective of women when it comes to how they're identified. Texas Senator Zodiac Killer and son of the murderer of John F. Kennedy, according to Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, attempted to connect KBJ with the teachings of critical race theory in Young Children, a curriculum that she had no part in developing or implementing in the school system. Senator Lindsey Graham tried to paint KBJ as a defendant of Al-Qaeda prisoners, which is true, but only because KBJ was a federal public defender, it's her job. It's like if you, the listener, worked as a chef at Guantanamo Bay and made food for the prisoners. And then one day you quit your job and decide to run for office and suddenly Lindsey Graham comes out of nowhere and says, did you feed enemies of the state? You did, but because again, it's your job. Now, out of all the senators that attempted to grill KBJ, it's Republican Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri whose attack actually stuck and one that created a spark among QAnon supporters. In the exchange between KBJ and Josh Hawley, the case of Wesley Hawkins was revisited, a case in which KBJ had given a sex offender a light sentencing. 
But before I go any further, I think it's important to add uh, a disclaimer because the complexity of this case goes well beyond my knowledge. However, as a graduate student studying pedophilic disorders, I feel like I could offer an insight into how this case was handled and what was the thought process of the judge when she made her sentencing decision. So what occurred in the Hawkins case? Back in 2012, 18-year-old Wesley Hawkins at the time was caught obtaining and downloading sexually exploiting images of children on YouTube. According to the New York Times, this eventually caught the attention of law enforcement and to track Mr. Hawkins down, a police detective posed as a fellow child pornography collector and suggested to trade images between each other. And of course, this led to the arrest of Wesley Hawkins in June 2013, after he had sent files of child pornographic content to the undercover cop. And what's wild about this story in particular was that Wesley had asked the undercover cop to send images of his 12-year-old daughter who for some reason felt confident in requesting this, just to give you an idea of the severity of the situation. Wesley Hawkins' lawyer had argued during the case that the 18-year-old at the time was a confused teenager who was trying to understand his own sexuality. Unfortunately, the sexuality he had developed seemed to be inclined in being romantically interested in early adolescence. During his arrest, reports from the New York Times indicate that he didn't resist arrest and actually pleaded guilty in court for distributing sexual content that involved children under the age of 13. It's important to note that during this case, an evaluation from a psychologist was submitted that concluded that Wesley Hawkins did not demonstrate any sexual deviation, but was instead driven to watch the pornographic images as a way for him to explore his curiosity about homosexual activity and connect with his emotional peers. Prosecutors had asked Judge KBJ to sentence Wesley Hawkins to two years in prison. On the other hand, Mr. Hawkins' lawyer had asked for a single day in prison, arguing that his client was essentially young, confused, remorseful, and suffering from emerging mental illness. In the end, KBJ had sentenced Mr. Hawkins to three months in prison, following by six years of supervised release. Taking into consideration that the standard guideline for child pornography sentencing is 10 years, Wesley Hawkins' punishment was far below that and far below what the prosecutors had asked for. And this is essentially what Republican senators have attempted to zero in on in regards to KBJ's moral dilemma in sex offenders, and also the fact that she commented that Wesley Hawkins should not be regarded as a pedophile because his age at the time was relatively close to the children he was sexually indulging in. Now, after listening to all that, you're probably thinking, what the fuck? And I'll be honest with you, I also said the same thing. But like KBJ, the prosecutors, and Mr. Hawkins' lawyer had all stated, the case is very complex, and I too agree with that statement. Let's start with the assessment of the psychologist. As stated, their evaluation was that Wesley Hawkins was not a pedophile. Looking at the case from a third-person perspective in 2022, I can tell you that Wesley Hawkins indeed does have pedophilic inclinations. Why do I make this assessment? Because Mr. Hawkins would later on go to reoffend, implying that his sexual interest for children had surpassed the six-month requirement to be diagnosed with pedophilic disorder, which is one of the requirements in a DSM-5. Now, I want to be clear that I am making these assessments years later after all the events have played out. Did the psychologist get it wrong back in 2013? It's hard to say because one of the things that I was unable to find out was how long Wesley Hawkins had been engaging in sexually exploiting images of children. Was it under six months? 
If so, I could see why the psychologist would be hesitant to label Mr. Hawkins because if that were the case, he would clinically not meet the requirements for pedophilic disorder. I'm also basing my knowledge of pedophilic disorder from the DSM-5, which was released in 2013. It could be very possible that the psychologist was using the DSM-4 that has different requirements for pedophilic disorder, criteria that I am not aware of because I've never looked at the DSM-4. Regarding KBJ, I believe her comment about Wesley Hawkins not being a pedophile was an attempt to demonstrate to him that while his actions were repulsive, this is an attraction that Mr. Hawkins and thousands of people with the attraction to children never ask for. That being said, I think her understanding of pedophilia or minor attractive people is that you can only be called this if you've engaged in sexual child exploitation. As I've mentioned in previous episodes in regards to this topic, being a pedophile slash minor attractive person only requires an attraction, not an action. If you're going to try to fix a problem, the first step is acknowledging that there is one. To do otherwise is to underestimate the severity of the situation. Now, in covering this case, a lot of media outlets, mostly left-wing progressive ones, had argued that Josh Hawley was using this case to cater to QAnon supporters who pretend to care about child trafficking, but actually don't once you tell them that transgender kids are most likely to become victims of sex child trafficking. But I actually don't agree that Josh Hawley was catering to QAnon. In my opinion, I think he offered a generic attack towards KBJ. One that was based on facts rather than some wild-ass conspiracy theory about satanic pedophiles eating children on a pizza parlor, which is something that you would hear from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, I admit that I have seen little of Josh Hawley and the stuff that he has said in the past, but his engagement with KBJ did not have a conspiratorial intent as much as it had the intent for political gain, and evidence of this could be seen in the final minutes of their exchange. If you decide to watch the video that I'll leave in the show notes below, at the end you can see a Josh Hawley who understands the argument that sex offender sentencing guidelines are outdated, but who disagrees with the light sentencing that KBJ had given to Wesley Hawkins. And honestly, I would agree with him. And the reason why is because I would understand from a clinical perspective if Wesley Hawkins simply engaged in sexually exploitive imagery, seeing that minor attractive people in 2013 had and continue to have limited access to clinical intervention when it comes to processing their own sexuality in a non-offending manner. It should not surprise us that things like this occur. People with these attractions can only suppress their sexual interests for so long until they burst. However, where I do draw the line is in the redistribution of sexually exploitive imagery because at that point, people are just re-exploiting these children and creating a demand for sickening images. And for this reason, as a graduate student studying pedophilic disorder, I disagree with the sentencing that KBJ gave. That being said, while I do agree with Josh Hawley's assessment of the case, I don't agree with his intent. Because as I stated, he's only bringing this up for political points. And how do I know this? Because Josh Hawley paints a picture that portrays KBJ as an outlier when it comes to child pornography cases. But in reality is that the sentences that Ketanji Brown Jackson gives are common among Democratic and Republican judges. According to ABC News, Judge Ralph Erickson of the 8th Circuit Court of Appeals, confirmed in 2017, sentenced at least 11 defendants of child pornography below the recommended guidelines. 
In 2018, Sixth Circuit Judge Amil Tapar, who was on Trump's shortlist, sentenced a man convicted of child pornography distribution to 73 months behind bars when the guidelines suggested a minimum of 97 months. The Washington Post reports that in 2010, a survey was conducted where 71% of judges said that the mandatory minimum sentences for child pornography were too high. Now, if Senator Josh Hawley really cared about sexual child exploitation, he probably should have been aware that the majority of federal court judges actually don't agree with his sentencing suggestions in regards to child pornography in both Republican and Democrats. And I'm not saying you can't disagree with the majority of the federal judges in their assessment that the guidelines are too high. But if you're going to call Katanji Brown Jackson a pedophile sympathizer while ignoring the Republican judges that also share the same concern as KBJ, you have to acknowledge that you're not an advocate of protecting children. You're an advocate of your own political affiliation. And look, I know that some of you guys are thinking, uh, yeah, child pornographic collectors should get the maximum sentencing, and I understand that feeling. However, I do think KBJ and other judges provide a good argument in revising the guidelines for child pornography images. At face value, all sex offenders should be punished. But that statement is broad, because what kind of sex offenders are we talking about? The word sex offender is actually an umbrella term because it can mean a variety of offenses that unfortunately lead people to think of the absolute worst, when in reality all someone did was send a dick pic to a girl who they thought was 18 but turned out to be 15. It happens. When it comes to child pornography, let me ask you a question. Is it worse to obtain and distribute child pornography rather than someone obtaining it for their own pleasure? Would you agree that the first scenario is worse than the second? If you agree, then you would also agree that the punishment for the first scenario should be more severe than the punishment for the second one. It just makes sense. Above all though, I think KBJ's argument about sex offending sentences being out of date is on point. When the guidelines were first developed, they were agreed upon during an era that was not dominated by the internet. So, for sex offenders, it was a lot more difficult to obtain atrocious images of children. However, when law enforcement were able to arrest these individuals with their collection of sexually child-exploitive imagery, it said a lot about the way they obtain the pictures. With the introduction of the internet, child pornography has exploded, where back in the 80s, getting one picture was a hassle. Now people can obtain hundreds of images of children in a matter of minutes. And so the argument is whether or not the amount of images says something about the offender or does it say something about the accessibility of these images in the internet. It's an interesting conversation to have, one that requires the knowledge of the criminal justice system, the psychology of human sexuality, and the mechanisms of the internet. And again, I am not an expert in all three of these categories. I can only offer my limited insight in the psychology of human sexuality since I'm a graduate student studying pedophilic disorders and conspiratorial ideologies. But I don't have a background in criminal justice or in social media. So don't take my perspective as absolute truth, rather as just another way of looking at this very complex dilemma. So in the end, is Josh Hawley a conspiracy theory instigator? Honestly, I didn't get that vibe from him, so I'm going to disagree with the liberal analysis of the exchange between him and KBJ. Did Katanji Brown-Jackson show too much sympathy for Wesley Hawkins? I'd say yeah, 
but I also don't have all the information and I wasn't there back in 2013 to make a fair assessment. And lastly, do Republicans care about sex offending sentencings or did they use this as a smear tactic to paint KBJ as soft on crime? Well, since they've been completely quiet with other Republican judges who share the same opinion about sex offending sentencings, I'm left to believe that this is just another example of right wing propaganda. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're listening on Spotify, click on that follow button for me. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, click on that subscribe button and leave me a 5 star review. By doing so, you help expose this podcast to people who might be interested in conspiracy theories within politics. You can follow me on Facebook and on Instagram at The Social Chemist. If possible, share this podcast with your friends to have some interesting discussions about what you heard today. Also, you can find all the references in the show notes below for this episode. So with that being said, take care and question everything with logic.